Recorded live. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
when he walked in a room and he shut himself in. He rushed to a side, undaunted and so strong. There was no doubt who had the power to right whatever was wrong. One touch, they thought you were dead. <laughs> and no he said,
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. And good morning. This is Morning Inspirations. It's now time for our morning prayer. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come before you saying thank you once again. Thank you for waking us up early this morning. Starting us on our way. And we just say thank you. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for any sins that we've done. Knowingly and unknowingly. Have mercy, Lord. When we lift up those, Lord, under the sound of my voice, that's lost a loved one, we lift them up to you as well, Lord. We lift up that that family who's grieving. We lift up those, Lord, behind prison walls. We lift up those in hospice, in, in the hospice care, those in the hospitals, those in nursing homes and psychiatric wards everywhere. Lord, we lift up those, Lord, who are working right now Those police officers, firefighters, and those who work in ambulance services, we lift them up to you as well, Lord. We lift up our men and women in armed forces here in states and abroad. We lift up those, Lord, who don't know even the part in their sins. Have mercy on you, Lord. And we lift up that drug dealer, the prostitute. We lift them up to you as well, Lord. We lift up that gay couple. We lift them up to you as well, Lord. We lift up that mother and father who, whose child would miss it. Lord. We lift up those, Lord, who are getting to go to church this morning. We lift up that preacher who's going to bring the word today. We thank you, Father, for all your many blessings. Bless our family, our friends, our church family. Bless my wife, protect her from the top of her head, the soles of feet, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the talk to family, Jan Radio, and those listening to us live by way of podcast. We thank you, Father. We pray this prayer 
knowing that you knowing that you know that you know that you can do all things. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, we'll be back at the top of the hour for Gospel Inspiration Music. This is Morning Inspirations. Come with me. Come with me. And then go to those you used to see as strange. Go even to those you have seen as enemies. Go in my name, the risen Christ says and your eyes will be opened again and again. That's the Reverend Dr. Donald Fishburne, and today he brings you an inspiring message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. Donald A. Fishburne, Rector of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Before coming to St. Paul's in 2008, he was rector of St. Michael and All Angels Church on Sanibel Island in Florida, and earlier served parishes in Georgia and the Carolinas. Donald is a graduate of the University of the South in Suwannee, Tennessee, and the Virginia Theological Seminary. He earned a doctorate in ministry from Suwannee, where he now serves on the Board of Regents. Donald, welcome to Day One. Thank you, Peter. I'm really delighted to be here. St. Paul's is the mother church of Episcopal congregations in the greater Chattanooga area in the Episcopal Diocese of East Tennessee. Give us an overview of your parish and the community it serves. St. Paul's is a great old place. It was started before the Civil War, and the Civil War, of course, had impact on it. The original building was used as a hospital first by Confederate forces and then by the Union Army. Hmm. And after the war and after a flood, uh, the church building was moved to a new site very close by, wonderful monumental building uh, put up. That second building in which uh, we still worship uh, is a wonderful piece of architecture that um, draws on architecture from a church on the Isle of Man, the rector at that time after the Civil War, uh, Father Dumbbell, as it turns out, suggested that the exterior architecture mimic, to a large degree, a church with which he was familiar back uh, at home. And inside is a, is a stunning uh, place of worship, uh, dark, heavy place, but with uh, lots of lift for the eye mm. and for the spirit uh, through the architecture itself and through the windows. Congregation these days is... Um, a congregation of all sorts and conditions of people, Mm -hmm. a great downtown parish that uh, draws people from counties around and from hills and valleys and a few folks from Georgia. Uh, That's been true, I think, largely from the beginning of days in the parish before the Civil War. Uh, Today, we are in a wonderful position as a downtown parish in a downtown community and in a metro community Mm -hmm. that's growing, Chattanooga, 
used to have uh, heavy industry. Uh, it was something of a dirty place in terms of air quality. These days, um, wonderful new manufacturing, wonderful new um, expressions of creativity and stewardship and recreation. Uh, good, good place for families. And we've got a lot of people moving now, a lot of young adults, 20-somethings mostly, um, mostly single, moving into the neighborhood and into the downtown area, new vibrancy, and we're trying to be responsive of that. The congregation has um, real vigor and excitement and spirit and energy for outreach ministries in the downtown community, metropolitan ministries, uh, community kitchen, and a host of others. Mm. And so it's a wonderful place to be in that respect. Um, I think our hallmarks uh, are, for most people are worship and music and care for each other, and that care for each other includes care for our neighbors. So mm -hmm. we've got a wonderful constellation of outreach ministries. You're also very involved at Swanee, the University of the South. What are your leadership roles there? I was an undergrad at Swanee. I can't believe that I'm having to say this, but I was an undergrad at Swanee entering as far back as to have entered with the first co-ed class. <laughs> there were no women uh, at Sewanee as undergrad students before I entered in the very late 60s, and um, that was a wonderful decision on the part of the leadership of Sewanee. The college is a wonderful liberal arts college with strengths in English, history, these days environmental studies especially. Uh, wonderful faculty, beautiful campus, of course, 13,000 acres. We've, in the last few years, added 3,000 acres to the domain. The School of Theology has wonderful, vibrant leadership. The last dean and the present dean, Neil Alexander, are great leaders, great faculty. I'm very, very excited about the School of Theology uh, at St. Paul's Church. We're fortunate enough to have uh, a good deal of interchange with the School of Theology in particular. We have field education students coming from the seminary to be with us on Sundays and weekdays and, and work with us, and we all learn in that relationship. We also benefit from having college and School of Theology faculty come uh, teach at St. Paul's, and, and that's a great benefit. Sewanee, I think, um, more than almost any other school I know, is a kind of way of life that gets in the blood. Uh, a recent alumni survey of, of colleges and universities nationally uh, discovered that Sewanee is just very much near the top in terms of alumni loyalty and enthusiasm for the school. We've got a wonderful new vice chancellor and president, John McArdle, and he and his team are bringing wonderful energy. As I say, it's hard to get the place out of your blood. I, I went there to college. I deliberately didn't go back for seminary because I thought I'd need to be out in the real world as opposed to that wonderful heavenly place on top of the mountain, uh, but then went back late, years later for a D-man, and that doctoral work in congregational development was good for me, and I hope good for my ministry. Uh, Sewanee's a, a fabulous place. Uh, it's especially beautiful in the fall and the spring. Leaves a little bit to be desired sometimes in February in terms of weather. But it's, um, it's a growing institution, and some of the exciting things that have been done lately, uh, tuition was actually decreased by 10% a couple of years ago, and now uh, the university is able to offer incoming college students the assurance that their tuition and fees will not go up in the four years that they are there, uh, that the fee at which they enter will stay stable. And there's similar um, 
wonderful opportunities at the School of Theology. It's a it's a wonderful Episcopal institution and a wonderful university uh, with a real sense of the future and a uh, good spirit of growth and, and learning. Well, Donald, your sermon for the third Sunday of Easter draws on two texts. First, in Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul, who becomes known as Paul. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 21, an account of the risen Jesus' appearance to some of the disciples. Would you read them for us? I'd be glad to. A reading from the ninth chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. A reading from the 21st chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus showed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples, after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fashion a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. These two accounts present two very different post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and yet in both, Jesus, in a way, deals with betrayal in terms of Saul's persecution of the church and Peter's denials of Jesus himself during the trials. Both men would become major leaders of the early church. What's your take on all that? What's most remarkable to me about the conversion of Paul is that he was apparently at his absolute most likely stage in life not to be open Mm. to Jesus and to the message, the gospel of Jesus, not to be open to the message of this wonderful teacher who had been crucified and I'm sure in the mind of Saul was dead and buried and yet somehow the people of Israel were being led astray, the good religious people of Israel, together with Gentiles, were being led astray by this new movement called the Way, which was blasphemous and uh, which was the wrong way in Saul's mind. The most remarkable thing, most miraculous thing to me about that is that at the very moment that Saul was most determined to persecute the Mm. followers of Jesus, the risen Lord appeared to him, literally knocked him to the ground, literally took away his sight. Uh, sent him into the city to wait, to wait, to ponder, to think, to pray, to be sightless for a time. Uh, I know it would get my attention if I were in my own way doing what I felt compelled to do in life, and then through this intervention, this revelation, this theophany, this horrific experience in one sense, if I were to be stopped in my tracks and knocked to the ground and have the breath taken out of me, the breath of life, and, and be confined to quarters and be sightless and to be forced to take the time to think, uh, that in itself would be remarkable and astonishing and, and a significant event in life. Thereafter, when Paul's eyes are opened, Uh, He is literally a new man with a new name, uh, to a large degree a new identity, same personality, I'm convinced, (laughs) but sees now with new eyes, new eyes of the heart, and those eyes, I believe, enable him to a degree to see with the eyes of Jesus, to see through Jesus' eyes, to see others as Jesus sees them, which is entirely different from the way Paul would have seen his fellow Jews, would have seen the new followers of the way, the newest Christians, and the Gentiles, which were all, all of whom were mixed into society there in, in Jerusalem and Damascus and Syria in that region. Um, Paul, as a Roman citizen, would have had access to all sorts of people of different social strata and languages and nationalities and cultures and even 
varieties of faiths. And what's astonishing to me is that this person who was, in his own terms, uh, one of the, the great faithful Pharisees, zealous, now becomes, to a degree at least, a humble, least of the apostles, but an apostle of the risen Christ, who now literally sees the world and sees everyone with new eyes, different eyes. Donald, your sermon is entitled, Becoming Ambassadors for Christ. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Jesus, open our eyes today so that we may become fishermen, fishers of people, and ambassadors of the gospel of Christ. The miraculous life of Jesus in turning around the lives of St. Paul and St. Peter gives us cause for thought and prayer and for hope and rejoicing. We remember that the zealous Pharisee Saul was so determined to persecute the first followers of the risen Christ that he pursued women as well as men and he headed for Syria from Jerusalem, lest he miss anyone. He was in no mood for conversion. Then the risen Lord Jesus opened his eyes to the new way, the new life. I'm helped by New Testament scholar Paul Holloway of the School of Theology at Sewanee to see that Saul was not converted from being a bad Jew to being a good Christian. He was converted by God's grace from being a zealous Jew to being a zealous apostle of Christ to Jews and Gentiles alike. His eyes were opened on the road to Damascus. Having been blinded by the light, he was sent into the city to wait, and after waiting on the Spirit to be given new eyes of faith, new eyes of the heart, so as to see those he knew well in a new light. He was transformed from being an enemy of the fledgling church. In baptism, he became a member of the new community of faith, Paul was enabled to see himself through the eyes of Christ, and so he was able to see his fellow Jews in a new light. He was able to see the people of the Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, Syrians, people not so different from you and me, in a new light. To us, St. Paul comes, opening our eyes to the wonder of life in Christ. Women and men in the first century were called by Paul into this ministry of reconciliation, And through Paul, our Lord Jesus calls us to be ambassadors of the good news as well. Paul remained himself after his conversion, but he was a better self, being formed into the image of Christ. So too we remain ourselves, even as we are being formed into the children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, seeing the world through his eyes of love and creativity. We have another example of conversion in today's gospel reading. What do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do when it is time to wait upon the Lord? Sometimes we do what we know how to do. We do what's familiar. We do what we can do while waiting to take the next step on our spiritual journey. Simon Peter, the fisherman, did not know what to do in the first days after Jesus had been raised from the grave that first Easter. After a while, he and some others did what they knew how to do, or at least what was familiar to them. We catch up with their story. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, 
and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. Simon Peter and James and John, the sons of thunder and the beloved disciple and the others, pile into boats and fish all night. They do what they can do while waiting. What did they catch? Nothing. They were uninspired and empty-handed. Day breaks. A voice calls from the shore. They are sent out again to cast their nets a bit differently. Two miracles come among them. First, they catch so many fish, all kinds of fish, that their nets are straining. Their boats are in danger of being swamped. Secondly, they're invited to the first Christian men's breakfast. Jesus himself invites them to come ashore and join him in a fish fry, a holy meal of shared fish at the water's edge. It reminds us of that earlier holy meal on a hillside, a meal in which thousands of men and women and children are fed from a few loaves and fishes, blessed. It might remind us of a heavenly meal. And then another miracle unfolds, another revelation comes. Simon Peter, Petros, Rocky, the hard-headed fisherman, is forgiven three times by the Lord whom he had three times denied so recently. And three times he is invited to profess his love of Jesus. He's empowered to forgive himself. Three times he is commissioned to be not only a fisher of men, now he is also empowered and inspired and equipped to be a shepherd with Jesus. Lord, you know everything, the fisherman says. You know that I love you. Good, Jesus says, follow me and feed my sheep, including sheep you don't even know of yet. What of us? Sometimes we are sent into the city to wait, and then our eyes are opened and our prejudices are stripped away like scales from before our eyes. Then we are sent out to open the eyes of others to the love of God in Christ. Sometimes we go to the beach, to the seashore, to wade in familiar waters, or to wonder what's next. We see again that the church casts a wide net, a resilient net, a net fashioned to draw in all sorts and conditions of people, all under our Lord's guidance in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you love me? Jesus whispers. Come with me. Come with me, and then go to those you used to see as strange. Go even to those you have seen as enemies. Go in my name, the risen Christ says, and your eyes will be opened again and again. Let us pray. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread and in the nets filled with a catch of all kinds of fish, and who revealed himself on the road to Damascus, and who reveals himself on mountaintop and hillside, city and shore. Open the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, and may join him in fishing, in welcoming, and in shepherding his people, the people he calls, all people, all God's children. Amen.
Day One host Peter Wallace has written a powerful new book entitled The Passionate Jesus, What We Can Learn from Jesus About Love, Fear, Grief, Joy, and Living Authentically, published by Skylight Paths. Theologian Marcus Borg calls it illuminating and powerful. Martin Copenhaver says it's a truly fresh perspective on Jesus. And Susan Sparks says, thank you, Peter Wallace, for inspiring us to rediscover Jesus while rediscovering ourselves. The Passionate Jesus is available through bookstores everywhere. Or visit dayone.org and click on the link to The Passionate Jesus. final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter Wallace. Donald, after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, you noted that Paul called women and men in the first century into this ministry of reconciliation. And through Paul, our Lord Jesus calls us to be ambassadors of the good news as well. What would it look like to be an ambassador of Christ in our world today? The people, in my experience, who are the most attractive proclaimers of the gospel, the most attractive ambassadors of Christ, uh, tend to have qualities of humility, and they're also articulate in their faith. They're self-assured, and they're assured by the Spirit. They're able to speak in the name of God and speak in the name of Christ in a way that's not off-putting. The people who are the best ambassadors, in my experience, women and men, are those who are able to speak different languages of faith, are at ease with our fellow Christians as well as with our sisters and brothers in the faith of Israel, our our friends in this country and abroad, and also are becoming more and more articulate with people in the Muslim communities nearby and far away. And I think that's a great um, testimony to the power of the Spirit and a great testimony to our Lord Jesus at work in our lives. Um, Jesus says, I have sheep uh, of whom you do not yet know. And our job is uh, not to keep people out, but to welcome in those who come, to keep lines of communication open, uh, to speak in the name of Christ in a way that is attractive and collegial and not imperial and not um, in a way that drives others away. These two key leaders of the early church, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, each encountered Jesus in a dramatic and life-changing way. Should we expect the same? I know it's true in the lives of some people that uh, the Lord comes to them in radically dramatic ways and literally intersects their lives, uh, stops their journey of faith and restarts it or starts it on a new direction. Um, that can be very, very attractive and very compelling. It can also be a little frightening, and sometimes for mm. for bystanders or family members or members of the community of faith, a, a little bit off-putting until the edge uh, is worn off just a bit. I don't think that kind of conversion experience, that dramatic lightning bolt from heaven, is by any means necessary for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Paul's life changed radically. Uh, Peter was 
changed from being literally a fisherman into a fisher of men and apostle and bishop. Uh, those are those are astonishing changes. It seems to me our Lord works astonishing changes in all our lives, but they can take a lifetime. That is, the sequence of events and the conversion experience can be uh, something that's felt and lived into over a much longer period of time without these stunning conversion episodes. For me, uh, having been raised in the church, uh, I've been privileged and fortunate to be uh, shaped and formed through the lives of other people who speak in the name of Christ and live in Christian ways. And um, for me and for many others I know, uh, our experience of being converted and shaped and formed literally is a journey of a lifetime. Donald Fishburne, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to having you back next week. Thank you, Peter. It's my joy. I look forward to being back with you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever.
because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Hey, churchgoers, looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to live. He has done the impossible time after time. He has, out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven, his mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine. No special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings, ruler of the universe, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. Some say he's the rose of Sharon, and some say he's the prince of peace. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together. Show your love for the second coming of the one and only. God is good.
Generations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Coming to you Mind Block Radio. Turn it up for
Since they'd roomed together in college, Mitch and Steve had traveled separate paths. That's how Steve saw it. About the time he began business school, Mitch entered seminary. You know, God's work. Mitch became an associate pastor and rose in church ranks. Steve took the corporate route. He excelled at work, raised a family, served at church, and in his community. Both men invested in lives. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge, and I'd like to address a common misconception among believers. Mitch, the pastor, answered no higher calling than Steve, who served God through business. All of us are part of one body. In common purpose and service, we each live out our place in the high calling of our daily work. Looking for a lift? Experience a seed from the sore with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia. A prodigal became a Christian, and he said to his sister, Mary, I've got a new heart. Show me, she answered. And that's what the Bible says. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Not only on Sunday, but also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You're to show it by your life. Witnessing is more than what you say, it's what you are. A girl was asked, under whose preaching were you converted? My mom's practicing, she answered. That's showing your religion from day to day by lip and by life. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's Daily Devotional, Seeds from the Sower, write The Sower, Metro, Georgia, 30439. Visit us on the web at com. This is Anne Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. What seemingly impossible task has God given you to do? Have you done it? Or are you procrastinating? What if Noah had procrastinated and told God he would build the ark, but at a time when he felt more capable, or when his financial situation was more stable, or when his family was more self-sufficient, or when it was just more convenient? If Noah had the attitude many of us do when God gives us an assignment beyond our ability, he would have been totally unprepared for the horrifying devastation when it struck, and we wouldn't be here today to talk about it. Instead of procrastinating, Noah obeyed without question or hesitation. Genesis 6.22 says that he did everything just as God commanded him. Listen to me. What is your impossible task? Obey God just as he has commanded. You'll be glad you did. This is Anne Graham Lotz. Was there really a worldwide flood as we read about in the Bible? This is the Creation Moments Minute. Today, it is considered scholarly to reject the Bible's account of a worldwide flood. Some say the flood recorded in the Bible was only a local event. The problem with these scholarly claims is that there were too many witnesses who disagree with them. We can test these scholars' claims. If the Bible's account of a worldwide flood is true, it was witnessed by every person on earth. The story of this event would have been passed down to their descendants and spread across the whole face of the earth. Researchers have cataloged some 270 stories of an ancient, destructive flood in various cultures around the world. A large majority of these stories have been shown to predate any Christian influence. We'll take a look at some of those tomorrow. For Creation Moments Minute, I'm Darren Marlar.
Hey, churchgoers, looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me, Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on the cross and paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of the seal, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself truly to him. And you too will enter into that joy, sins again, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How can I say thanks for the things you've done for me?
You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. 